Welcome to Living a Sex Positive Life, where we can guarantee the topic will be about sex. We'll talk about the good and the bad, the health and healing benefits, the adventures, the relationships, as well as the crimes and the tragedies. Our mission is to educate, entertain, and just talk about that touchy subject that affects us all, sex. Now here's your host, Angelique Luna. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. Uh, I'm Angelique Luna. I'm here with my husband and co-host, John C. Luna. Hello, everyone. And tonight, we're starting off a new format. We're actually making announcements. Hubby has that all ready to go. All lined up. Okay. So, things I'm actually uh, really excited about. Uh, Our sponsor, The Woodshed, is actually promoting... Uh, an event coming up in August. It's uh, August 17th called FIRE, which is Florida Intensive Roping Experience. Uh, it's actually going to be held in Orlando and Kissimmee. Um, right now they are, let's see, they have the f- website up, uh, fireorlando.com, but they're going to be doing uh, both pre- presentations as well as classes over uh, four days on shibari and different roping techniques. Ooh, which awesome. Which I'm, I'm real, really interested to learn. I, I, I know some of it, but I want to learn a lot more. I know people from everywhere are coming. And for those who are not familiar with the Woodshed, it is a local BDSM dungeon here in Orlando. They offer several specialty classes ranging from BDSM 101 to communication, consent, roping, um, roping classes every Sunday and Thursday. If you go on FetLife.com, you can find the schedules. But tonight, we have a special guest. She's actually one of my classmates, and we've become good buddies because we actually became roommates at one session. So her name is Nikki Robbins. She is a licensed, associated professional counselor and born-certified sex therapist. Nikki specializes in helping individuals, couples, and family improve and cultivate healthy love and sex positive relationship. She is kink aware, poly friendly, and knowledgeable with the LGBTQ communities. Nikki uses evidence-based treatment methods with some elective interventions from other modalities. She works from a system-based perspective with individuals, couples, and families because behaviors do not occur in a vacuum. Welcome, Nikki. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it very much. You're very welcome. So what all entails, and and I just realized we forgot to put in paganism in there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we got to work on these shorter things. <laughs> Nikki, so how, how do you do your practice and everything? How does someone, you know, come to find someone like yourself? Uh, well, I'm on psychology today. That's where a lot of therapists are. And you kind of have to skim through their bios to kind of see if they're right fit. I'm also on good therapy. Uh, there's not actually very many therapists, at least in the Atlanta area, that deal with not just paganism and polyamory and like a sex positive lifestyle. So you really have to call and interview the therapist. Be like, hey, is this going to be a problem? Or we're this because there's actually some people in Atlanta that get turned away for their sexual orientation. Oh, I think it's like everywhere because I know during class they've said that several people have been kicked out says, hey, you're too fucked up. We can't help you. Exactly. There was actually, uh, in one of my supervisory sessions, these weren't my clients. They were, like, clients of somebody else that my supervisor was seeing. And they pathologized them for having kinks, uh, for wanting to open up their relationship. And I was like, that is completely damaging to them. Because the point of us being therapists is to do no harm. And if it's not causing a disorder in your life, and it's not creating a dysfunction for you, or, you know, creating some kind of depression, anxiety, then that doesn't make it bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it's probably working in your sex life. So then we need to explore that and talk about it, not pathologize you and say, you're a bad person for wanting this. I know. It's just trying to change that mentality just because our sexual orientation is completely different doesn't really make us a bad person. Correct. It doesn't make you a bad person at all. It makes you a very interesting person. Oh, to say the least. I mean, we got stories to up the yin-yang here, lady. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That that is so funny there. But a couple of days ago, did you read that story about that couple that got divorced? So 
their triad could also have legal rights to their children. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I that thought, they, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that they thought so much of this relationship, this triad that they had formed, to want to include to make it egalitarian, like equal across the board, to include their their third into this whole uh, system that they had created. Right, and the kids look very happy, and I was actually surprised because one of our local radio stations posted that to their Facebook page. And the hideous comments, I said, well, the kids are going to get all screwed up. It's not a stable environment. I'm like, whoa, wait up, wait up, wait up. <laughs> On the contrary, Mon Cherie, there's even scientific data showing that this is healthier than a divorcee and split custody. Correct. It, uh, uh, the, longi- oh, excuse me. the longitudinal study done by Dr. Um, Elizabeth Sheff over, I think, 20 years now, or 15 to 20 years, that she has done what, what they call polywogs, the, the little ones. Mm-hmm. She has done interviews with them and then interviews when they're now adults. And majority of them are very well-adjusted adults. And they learn different things from the different adults in their life. Yeah, absolutely. There because And I think having that available, unconditional love. Because if one parent's not available, at least there's somebody else. I mean, it... it I know in our household it's easy to, you know, run with one child. I can't imagine with two, three, or four and not specialize in and everything. You know, it's the whole thing with the polyamory that sometimes your needs is not met by one person. That's why you need kind of several different people. Correct. Because it, in my personal view, <laughs> it's kind of selfish to think all your needs are going to be met by one person. Yeah. It's- it, do- it doesn't happen all the time. Like, if you find that person, that's wonderful. That's great. I'm glad you found them. But a majority, there's always going to be something that's lacking that maybe could be improved upon. So adding somebody that could meet that need in an ethical manner, that means where you talk about it, we're open about it, we're not hiding it, can actually benefit the relationship and benefit the whole family system. And how would you go about explaining a polyamory family dynamic to somebody who are thinking about it or they're in it but don't really realize they're in it? I would kind of categorize it as like it takes a village Uh for a child. So you have, let's say you have the mom who's the nurturer and one of the dads or one of the moms. It doesn't doesn't matter. This is just a example I'm running with one of the dads could be you know the go-to person for all like the social questions the sex questions and then the other dad could be oh well he's the smart one so we're going to go for homework or something so they have all these things that can add to this dynamic mm-hmm. interesting yeah um it is kind of interesting trying to do it that way and explaining that. Now, what challenges do you always face with people not understanding what polyamory is about? They're wanting to come in and saying that this is going to fix our marriage. I want to add, we want to add a third or we want to add somebody to fix our marriage and sitting down and actually educating them on what polyamory is, what swinging is, what relationship anarchy is, and like the whole gambit and then them going, oh, well, we didn't really think this through. <laughs> no. How, do you give them like kind of a game plan that, okay, so if you do this, it's this, and then it's this, it's that, you know? Yeah, I kind of sit them down and say, okay, look, do you guys know what Polly is? Tell me what, what you know so far. So then I can tell you what I know. <laughs> we can kind of compare notes, so to speak. And see, Polly doesn't have to be sexual. It can just be romantic. Um, you could already be in one. You're just not calling it that. You're just having some kind of other designer relationship that we talk about. Um, or you're just looking for a third for sex. Like, like say you're in a sexless marriage and the, your other partner's okay with adding the, the third for sex. And if that's it, then we need to talk about it. <laughs> or we do, or are we into relationship anarchy, which there are no labels. <laughs> we Woo-hoo! don't really communicate a whole lot on no labels. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, I, I totally, I think we agreed on that one. Relationship anarchy between us, hubby? Po- possibly. We started talking about that. Well, there, there's one comment I want to throw out there is um, 
definitely uh, open relationships and poly is I'm hearing more and more about it. And I know many poly couples and it's funny because I haven't been in a poly relationship. I obviously an open marriage, but when I ask um, serious questions on, well, how do you keep everything situated? I've had three different couples tell me the exact same three different times. They're all like Google calendar. So I'm curious if it's, the, the the helping of technology that has kind of made poly more workable. <laughs> I would say yes, definitely. <laughs> With Google Calendar, everyone has a different color. We know what's going on. We can look at the calendar and go, okay, so tonight is partner's A night. Or I'm doing this with partner B. So then it just, it makes everything clear. Also with like the group me app. So everyone's on like a group message. So information can get passed instantaneously. Versus waiting, you know, for the phone call or having to juggle different things. <laughs> Most definitely. Google Calendar, GroupMe, all this instantaneous technology is helping out Polly. So talk about more about GroupMe. What's that one about? Because I'm not familiarized. It's an app. I actually use it at work for all of our, all of our therapists because I'm also an addictions counselor. So we have to be on the same page with different clients. So mm -hmm. what it is, it's just a group me app that you can download and it has like a pound sign and a smiley face and you add all the people's um, email addresses on there and it puts you in a group text basically so if one person puts something in the group it's like oh well dinner tonight as a group whatever and everyone can go like yeah or no I'm busy so then all the information is there instead of having to text different people and go having that go between or that messenger well, so-and-so said this. Well, so-and-so said this. Well, no, it's all right there. So ah, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> that keeps everyone accountable like that. Exactly. You know, especially when there's manipulations and jealousy and mind games. Now, how do you handle that? You know, especially if someone's jealous. If someone's jealous. So jealousy is the fear of I'm not going to experience that or they're getting something that I'm not. Definitely having an open line of communication with all of your partners and, and saying, and, di and kind of dissecting the feeling. That's what I like to do with my clients is dissect it. So what are you afraid of getting, of not getting that your partner is getting with somebody else? And if you're afraid of not getting that, then how can you talk to your partner about getting that same feeling that you're hearing that they're getting with somebody else or having that conversion that, you know, happy that your partner is happy type deal definitely talking about the jealousy and not making it a secret because if it stays a secret it's going to fester and then it's going to breed resentment and then, then then that's where a lot of other arguments spin from like you get mad at a drippy faucet it's not about the drippy faucet it's about all this other stuff that's been shoved under the bed and we're not talking about it and you know that is so hard to do because uh, I know even my own experience, we're like, well, you know, it's, it's little things. I don't want to be a whiner. But mm -hmm. if you don't talk about it, that's what builds up and starts exactly. snowballing into the bigger things. That is that is really true. I see that with not just poly clients, all clients. <laughs> like, well, the whole codependency, well, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. Okay, well, her feelings are on her. The point is your needs aren't getting met, so we need to talk about them. Well, and and I think that's often the problem. People don't talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also jealousy. It, it It's taught to us as being such a negative emotion, you know, sort of like anger and rage. Control it and hide it. And we, we're taught to feel that if we do feel jealousy, either it's justified and we need to seriously act on it or we just hide it. And that's... You, yeah. You're so right. Our culture has been taught, like you said, rage, anger, jealousy, sadness. All these emotions aren't okay for us to express because it takes away from the happy everyone's fluffy bunny and we're, we're just all getting along going on in, you know, life. So actually, and we have these emotions for a reason. They're, they're triggered in us because something's going on saying something is wrong. Um, the anger is a very useful emotion knowing that boundaries have been crossed but it's how you act upon that emotion. The emotions themselves are neutral. It's what you do with it and act upon it that matters later. 
I like that. I've never heard that emotions are neutral. Emotions just are. We all experience them. We experience the whole rainbow of emotions, and they just are. So we need to talk about them and see what is behind them. Definitely a different perspective. And, and a lot of the stuff that you're saying resonates even just for regular, you know, straight couples, heteronormative, as as we say in the professional world. But, you know, in layman's terms, straight couples, you know, the same mm-hmm. information applies for them or any kind of relationship. Most definitely. It's all about how can we build this relationship? How can we build this friendship, basically, because that's how it has to start and then move from there to see what happens after that. So what other tips would you give? So say that we're not trying to screw up the younger generation for parents, for their kids. I would say be very open and honest about what relationships are, what and how sex plays into this, uh, how emotions play into sex, uh, sexual orientation, how that can be displayed, just being very open and honest about everything and not trying to hide it and say, oh, well, well, that's dirty, or we'll talk about it when you're an adult. Well, no, they need to learn about it as they grow up. And uh, what we call uh, on-the-spot learning or (laughs) opportunistic moments of teaching. Yeah. Saying, well, what's that? Well, this is a great time to teach your child what this is. And if it makes you feel uncomfortable, wait until you're either driving in the car and not making eye contact to just still take advantage of that opportunity moment to talk about, hey, how did you feel about that sex scene in The Fast and the Furious? Exactly. Because I don't know about you, but when sex scenes would come on in my house when I was younger with my parents, I'd be like, this is so uncomfortable. I don't really want to watch this with my parents. And even now, like even though I'm pretty open about it now, I still have, because that's how I was raised, and all these messages are ingrained that this is just weird. <laughs> like, oh. I don't want to watch Game of Thrones with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm completely with you on that. <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting down. I remember we're going way back being a child. VHS. My father, we had some people over. My father uh, said, go rent a movie. And I saw a movie with Mr. T, and we're going way back. It's called uh, DC Cab. And, you know, Mr. T, A-Team, everyone's like, oh, sure, get it. Well, it was rated R, and it had more nudity than probably most 80s movies I've ever seen. (laughs) And I just got this really weird look on the side of my face. And every time a woman came out naked, I'm like, I'm going to get something to eat. I must have eaten like 15 times through this movie because I kept getting this very weird, guilty look from my parents like, you made us rent this. And now we're watching this. I'm like, I'm hungry again. Oh, my God. No, see, for me, it was the opposite. They kept covering my eyes. They're like, nope, we can't see it. Or, you know, nope, we got to fast forward it. So, yeah, it's like at the same time, I'm like, I still turned out to be a swinger. What the hell? (laughs) It was the fast forward or the cover your eyes, and my brother's probably going to kill me for telling this story, but you guys remember uh, My Stepmom's an Alien with Kim Basinger? Oh yes, my god, yes. Okay, that scene where she like totally rips her clothes off, like mm-hmm. with some alien power? Yep. Okay, well, they told us to cover our eyes, and of course my brother probably didn't. Of and course not. Later, he and a neighbor kid are watching the are watching the movie and then they got really quiet and then my mom goes in and they had paused it at that scene where all her clothes are ripped off and she's just like oh my god okay well here's the thing kids will find or try to find what they're looking for and yes in in the 80s we didn't have the internet we didn't have the ability to just go on because you know almost every 13 year i know 13 year old i know of has a smartphone who can go ahead and just type in Pornhub or RedTube and find the same stuff we find. Now, they shouldn't. Obviously, I don't recommend an underage watching porn. But back in the 80s, that's what we had. It was either that or the scrambled cable on the adult channels. Exactly. <laughs> and every the very... once in a while, you would, it would come into view. Like, you'd say, okay, there's a breast. Yep. Oh, wait a minute. There's a vulva. Oh, there's a penis. Okay, and there's there's contact. Oh, that's what happens. Okay. And then there was, everyone had, or or at least uh, most people had, 
just one friend whose father had that Playboy channel. So whenever there was like a late game or you're going to be out late at night, it's like, oh yeah, we, we need, we could just sleep over his house. Wouldn't that be easier? Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. But see, you're using the medical terms of the body. Come on, let's be realistic. We never call that. We're, we're, we're like the dick, the pussy, you know. It's like, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Well, well, there's a cock. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, pussy, whatever, whatever you want to call it. That's what it was. Yeah. Well, that's how we're taught because that's the, again, that was the resources we had available to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thankfully, there's so much more available uh, today, not not just for the adults, but for the kids as well. <laughs> yeah. I know when, I, when I'm teaching uh, sex education to my ladies at the, the rehab facility, and I start using, like, even the doctor terms, you know, vulva or penis whatever they're like oh my gosh miss nikki we never thought you would say those words like what do you want me to say (laughs) you know i would suggest next time that you would do that give them the the kids book sex is a funny word and really see what happens with them (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's really funny when i put up the anatomy pictures at the very end and it like spreads the whole thing with the female anatomy like that the outer and then the inner and the same thing with the male anatomy. And they're like, we know nothing about our bodies. Absolutely. (laughs) And that's the sad part. It's like, ah, now how do you, how do you teach your sex ed class? Do you just mostly talk about like the sex education part or do you go into like the genders, healthy relationships? Mine stems from, like, the sexual development point of view, so they know how to talk to their kids, and so they know about their own body. So I do go into the gender, uh, sex orientation, different relationship orientations to how people experience sex and sexuality as they grow up, and even on into, like, menopause and the geriatric ages, so they know what to expect. I've even talked about hysterectomies, what they don't know. Like, you know, when, when you take body parts out, there's a big hole there, so stuff is going to happen, like prolapses. You're going to have incontinence issues, all of that. And they just kind of sit there for three days going, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, girl, you're traumatizing them even more by giving them all that information. <laughs> Some of them, they're just like, uh, they just sit there. It's like, this is true. Like, this is what they don't tell you in schools because it's abstinence-based. They don't tell you all this other stuff that happens. Yeah, I I still try to get through the uh, teen, the basic children's with parents because, you know, I I, I do my presentation up to 18 for parents because it's like, you need to know this stuff. And I'm like, how much of this stuff do you know? (laughs) You know, and it kind of shocks me. Some of the parents, they're like, I I, I don't know. What are you talking about? What do you mean? I think I I have one parent almost go into the fetal position. I'm like, breathe, breathe. Well, one thing I, I like about your presentation, and I'm starting to hear in other ones, is it, it was, a, again, a sex ed uh, um, workshop, but it went very much and integrated with relationships and basically confidence as being an adult. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we learn so much as a child, and that forms our personality. And if, if sex and other stuff is constantly the the hushed, it's not talked about, or better yet, you feel very confused about it, that, you know, that can possibly lead on to later on relationship and confidence problems as an adult. I totally agree. There's actually studies that say when you masturbate when you're younger, it actually increases your sexual confidence so that when you do go into these relationships or these situations, you do have confidence in your own abilities to be sexual. Absolutely there, you know, and the funny part is with my presentation, I actually ask, I, it's like, where did you guys learn about healthy relationships? And I kid you not, not one single parent raised their hand or said where they learned about healthy relationships. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, and of course I put in like one of my slides is a photo of I Love Lucy season one and season two. <laughs> if you notice in season one, the beds are separate. Mm-hmm. In season two, the beds are together. And guess who's there? Little Ricky. They had to explain. Got to put the beds together to make a baby. Exactly. <laughs> we had to sleep together at some point for this to happen or have sex to have yeah. little Ricky. 
Yeah, it, and it just amazed me, like, the parents, because then when I pointed it out to them, they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so let's teach the kids something different. Exactly. I like to put in mind um, the body autonomy video. It's on YouTube. It's like this little kid voice that talks about it. And then I also like to put the consent to tea video to, that talks about consent from the, the British um, – uh, whatever, how British talks about consent is how they talk about if you accept tea or not. Hmm. I have They're to watch hilarious. That. Watch the, you have to watch the British one because the American one's not as funny. There's just something about a British accent that's more <laughs> funny. Especially the part where it goes, if the man's unconscious, don't make him drink the tea. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for the suggestion. I think I'm just going to have to add that one to my presentation now too. <laughs> Please, I love it. It, it. it gets good laughs, especially when I'm like, don't force him to drink the tea. Unconscious people don't want tea. <laughs> you, no. you, you know, when I when I watch docu- uh, mostly the documentaries and YouTube videos with that English accent, I love an English accent. Something about it is just amazing. But it's either like boring 1950s, the penis and the vagina, very straightforward, <laughs> or it's Monty Python. And exactly. I'm trying to find stuff in between, too. Man, if I could find a Mighty Python video how to talk about sex ed, I'm I'm golden. <laughs> they have what... one uh, called like the argument, the argument room, or the argument appointment that actually works out really well for communication. The argument room. Mm-hmm. It's where the guy comes in. and He's like, "Oh, I want to buy an argument." She's like, "So, do you want the ten minute one, or do you want the, you know, the five minute?" And then they have one that's like the abuse room. <laughs> and... <laughs> He's like, oh, I wanted an argument. Oh, you didn't want a pierce. I'm sorry. It's the next room over. <laughs> and so then it just goes back and forth. It, it's great. Oh, yes. Thanks for the tips and tidbits and how to improve uh, my workshop here. Because, yeah, you do definitely need to add the humor because then people would, you know, after they stop laughing, then they'll start thinking. They're like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and that's how you make presentations memorable is by that's the study that they did is putting in videos putting in humor so that it clicks in the brain oh yeah that this is cool and i'll remember it more because i've associated with all of my senses well it's funny because i i do also teach outside of uh, uh the sexual arena and uh it's, it's the same thing so it really doesn't matter what you're teaching um and I also think it's the fact that we have a very short attention span now. I think it's gotten a lot worse. Oh, yeah, I definitely. Agree. I remember, totally well, I think we've even gotten rid of, I remember every time I went to the doctor, I had to sit there for an hour waiting for an appointment. And that's when you were on time. And now I go to a doctor and I'm like, I'm very happy I'm getting in there. But if we have to wait 20 minutes, my teenager's like freaking out like it's the end of the world, especially if she doesn't have her phone with her. Oh, yeah, her phone died mm-hmm. today during her therapist appointment. She lost her oh, shit. No. And she was hangry, too. I was like, oh, my God. That's why I was so grateful, Nikki, that you pushed it to 9 o'clock instead of our normal 8 o'clock. I needed, like, an hour just to decompress. <laughs> my demon spawn drove me insane because her phone battery died. I mean, she was worse than a six-year-old. Like, no, my iPad died. Oh, wow. I always laugh when I see that with my best friend's kids, and I'm like, that's something disturbing that your child thinks of it as a human being and is crying that his iPad died, other than accepting the fact that he just needs to be recharged. Yeah, that needs to be recharged too, just like people do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which actually will bring to another one, self-care. That's uh, yeah. another <laughs> huge topic, which is the same thing. It's almost it, it's not quite taboo, but it's viewed as selfish. And I used to also think of it as selfish and eventually got to the point a few years ago of, you know what? I work hard. And even if I don't work hard, you need to take care of yourself. And there's such a resistance out there against it. Exactly. Um, again, like I'm. I'm, like I said, evidence-based. I like studies. One of my supervisors actually did her dissertation on self-care and the therapeutic community. And even as therapists and as educators, we need to self-care because we can't give from what I call an empty cup. So if I don't have the emotional capacity to hold space for you, then my therapy is going to be worth nothing. 
honestly. I'm just going to be sitting there going, uh-huh, okay, whatever. I'm waiting for you to go. So I need to take care of myself. And however, it's through exercise, meditation, sculpt. I, I sculpt. I do a lot of art stuff, so that's my self-care. Um, or watching mindless TV, like anime, that allows my mind to like go somewhere else besides work. And it's huge. And I like how you said that um, being selfish. That's big in our culture, too, in the American culture, is being selfish. Doing anything for us, because we're taught we need to be selfless. We need to give, give all of ourselves, because that's what people really need. When really, there's a balance, because, again, you can't give what you don't have. Absolutely. And it's like, how do you preach that to your clients? I mean, do you, like, practice what you preach and make sure that they see it, you know, especially with a polyamory client? Yeah, definitely a role model, being able to be like, look, uh, setting up boundaries, I have to role model that every day. No is a complete sentence, <laughs> role modeling that, <laughs> and being like, look, I can't, um, even when they walk in on me, I have nap time every day. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, we I love nap time. Yeah, it, you know, when we're kids, we're fighting as an adults. we're like, woohoo, nap time! Yeah, exactly, like I have nap time in my office, or I have, uh, I take my break. And they'll walk in on my break, and they'll be like, are you watching a movie, Miss Dickie? I was like, yes, because this is my break time. So, and then it's if it's a quick question, if it's not, I'm like, can this wait? Can you write me a, I need to speak with clinician form? Because this, this is self-care. Or even on my uh, website or my Facebook page, I'll post, you know, date nights or self. I'm doing self-care, stuff like that. Just so I'm role model role modeling to clients both in the agency and in my private practice that this is important. That's really good. That yeah, you know, I, I know I'm I'm kind of horrible with that because I usually, yeah, my my postings of my self care is usually just like, hey, I'm out, but I don't say self care. I guess I should hashtag that when I do my craziness. No, but I'm very happy to hear when I sit down and actually pull out copies of Beavis and Butthead that qualifies as self care. Because yeah. it does just numb the mind. Exactly. Anything that's that takes you out of what what stresses you and being mindful in that moment. Because if your if your attention is on Beavis and Butthead going what <laughs> whatever they're laughing about, <laughs> you're totally focused on the Beavis and the Butthead. You're not worrying about what's coming later or what happened yesterday. You're focused on them. Or if you're out to dinner and you see a kid doing Don Corjolio and you say that and the kid's like looking at you embarrassed. He's like, I don't know. And the mom's like busting out laughing because she knows the reference. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That yeah, is the, funny. Yeah, that happened to us over the weekend. The poor kid was so embarrassed because he really did not know the, um, you know, what Don Corjolio was. But he was doing the whole shirt over, hands up in the air kind of deal. So I'm I'm assuming it had to be a younger character generation because you know I don't watch those like t teen cartoons anymore because my daughter's not into it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, most definitely. So I have a professional question, uh, okay. and because um, even us went to look for a, a, a therapist in the last year and had to actually do quite a bit of searching to find one that was familiar with the lifestyle or even, you know, we were looking for anything that said either lifestyle friendly, poly friendly, open relationship friendly. Her description did not say lifestyle friendly. Uh, but it did have, when we read it, there was, the way it was phrased, uh -huh. definitely. Kink aware. <laughs> no, she didn't have anything. No, she had. Oh. But the way it was phrased, we felt very comfortable with it. And I don't want to even name her. But, um, again, we've seen her and it turned out she actually... Uh, again, uh, cer certified therapist uh, uh, in the life, actually in the lifestyle. I'm mm -hmm. curious, uh, are you seeing more therapists um, taking the path of becoming, again, kink aware and more friendly with these alternative relationships? Well, I live in Georgia, mm -hmm. so it's an interesting dynamic in Georgia. <laughs> if you're in Atlanta... I'm seeing more people saying that they're kink aware and they're uh, LGBTQ knowledgeable, poly friendly. When you get out of the metro Atlanta area, so that's like below, if you're familiar with Georgia, 
it's below Riverdale, around Ackworth, above like Alpharetta, so that's like the whole circumference. Out there, yeah, not, not so much. They're not very friendly with that because, again, it's the whole Bible Belt Southern issue. Yeah, so we're at the shining belt uh, belt buckle of the Bible Belt, uh, the <laughs> Bible belt here in Florida. And uh, it does vary like that uh, here as well as uh, community community. We definitely have some communities usually uh, centralized around a downtown area. And this goes not just for Orlando, but Tampa and Miami as well, that are very LGBT out. And you find therapists and professionals, again, catering to those groups. And then as you go out further and further, you just end up getting more of a drive to find mm-hmm. that. Correct. It's, it's like spitballing if you're in atlanta yeah you're going to find one anything outside of the atlanta metro area you're really going to be reaching and searching to find somebody who's who's poly friendly kink aware lgbtq out just it's it's really hard that's such a shame i agree Yeah, I think this is, I I found our therapist description. What caught us was, I embrace individuals of various backgrounds and lifestyles and strive to uh, create an accepting environment for my clients as they work to achieve a higher level of life satisfaction and happiness. Awesome. So it wasn't quite mentioning kink aware or anything like that. Yeah, anything. But at the same time, it was a very nice way to slide it in to say they might be. Yeah, exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. And not crossing and, the boundaries. I, yeah. Yeah. And that's where like, kind of like interviewing your therapist when you call them for that free consultation comes in. So if they kind of balk at, let's say, oh, well, we're into swing and they're kind of like, uh, uh, well, I don't know what that is. That, that's your clue saying, well, you're probably not right for me because it seems like you might not be open to it. So interviewing your therapist first. We actually never thought of that. Is there like certain interviewing questions they should ask? What what I find helpful is if there's an issue that they're coming up with and they're saying, do you work with this? Or is something that might pertain to your issue? Let's say your, your lifestyle, for instance. Um, saying, okay, so say I'm a, se- I'm a sex therapist. Like, well, BDSM has been really helpful in, my, in working through some of my trauma is that is that something that you could work with? Is, is that something that you're open to? And the therapist is going to say yay or nay, or they're going to try to pathologize you on the phone. Mm-hmm. And and if they try to like pathologize you on the phone, that's probably not a good fit. Now, for someone who's new and never been in therapy, what is pathologize? Sorry. When they try to diagnose you, let's say with a particular fetish, or the oh well we can just do certain interventions to steer you away from that lifestyle. It's like, no, cause that's essentially saying that something's wrong with you and there might not be anything wrong with what you do. There might be something else that's playing into it that we need to work on. So another way of a conversion therapy, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Unethical. Yeah. <laughs> Extremely. I was actually impressed. SVU actually finally did uh, an episode on conversion therapy. Wow. Yeah, it, it was kind of interesting how they did that one. Um, trying to think. I th- uh, resources. What would you suggest resources for people that you come to you for treatment? Resources as far as what? Polyamory, paganism, therapy. <laughs> Let's go. To- <laughs> yeah, we haven't touched much on the paganism, which is, believe it or not, there's a lot down here in Florida. I have a lot of pagan friends. There, there actually is. There's a Phoenix fire that's down there. There's a drumming circle um, that's down there that I know of uh, from my coven. Uh, my high priest goes down there a lot for different festivals for, for paganism. As far as like therapist resources for paganism, that's the same thing. You kind of have to spitball it and ask questions because the therapist I had when I started, uh, she didn't know anything about any pagan religion so i felt like i had to teach her a lot and that's not what what i really came to therapy for i'm not going to spend money to try to teach you at that point i would be like hey i need a discount or you're paying me you know that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh she she didn't realize some of the things that i had already done to work through my own personal stuff as far as like rituals and 
uh, prayers, spells, whatever, to work through my own stuff. And she's like, oh, so that's why you can sit here and talk to me like it's nothing because you've done your work. Like, yes, <laughs> I've done stuff. This is not my first rodeo, so I, I, you're, you're kind of like the last resort. Hello. Yes, but some yeah. people don't. I mean, I, I imagine people are like, okay, marriage is in trouble. We'll go to a therapist. They'll just fix it. And yeah. I've heard that. And what's worse is when they go to it, they're like, I'm not changing anything. Just fix it. And it's like, that that's really not how it works. Yeah, that's like a kid coming to you with a toy going, it's broken. Can you fix it, please? No. <laughs> You have to do the work. I just facilitate the work. See, I always just think of that Geico commercial of those little ladies putting pictures on the wall and saying, that's Facebook. See, I've posted it on my wall. Exactly. That's not how this works. That's not how any of it works. (laughs) But are there any podcasts? See, because that's out of my realm, the the Paganism podcast or – books or anything i know we saw one that was coming up which is sluts is that i can't remember the name of it That's i haven't a... i haven't seen that one but i know there's a twitter feed uh a poly pagan which she's actually speaking at um poly um atlanta poly weekend ah yes we had to talk about that because you're presenting aren't you yes i am presenting <laughs> ah tell us the dates tell you tell us about your presentation uh, well, the first one I'm presenting on is how to communicate with your metamorph and why it's important. And that's going to be on Friday. Uh, I think it starts at 12. I think I have that up on my Facebook page. And it's uh, 90 minutes. We're going to be talking about, or I'm going to be talking about why it's important to be have an open line of communication with your metamorph and why not to treat them like the enemy or that's your, I call them your hub partner. Why your hub partner needs to do all the communicating between you because that's really not fair to them. And then my second presentation is how to talk to your children about polyamory and what age is what's appropriate to come out to them and how to talk to them about that. And that one's going to be on Sunday, I believe, at 11. Cool. And for our listeners, I'll go back. What What is a metamor? A metamor is your partner's partner and meta for short. Gotcha. Now, what age do you suggest to tell your children? Any time they start asking questions, it's those teachable moments when they start noticing that, let's say, you know, if you call them Uncle Jeff or whomever, comes over a lot and spends time. Anytime they really notice or you start talking about relationships with them, uh, I like the uh, way that Patty teaches it Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, how many hearts can this heart love? So you're actually rolling in sexual orientation, uh, gender, uh, gender orientation. You're rolling all of that into it, saying that it's really not about the the person per se. It's kind of about your feelings that you get for them on an energy level versus, oh, well, we have to go by what society dictates with marriage and we have to have the binary and the uh heteronormative uh yeah we're we're not society following people <laughs> no, no i'm definitely out of the box type person so on that part well that's pretty interesting that that's gonna be and what's the dates on the uh, atlanta poly weekend it's the second through the fourth so that's friday the second through sunday uh june 4th okay that's during gay days here in orlando ah oh, crap Yes, we already have lots of plans on roaming around the city and causing mischief with everybody else. There's a lot of things going on that first weekend in June, just anywhere in general. What other events are happening? Uh, I know there's a lot of trainings on the second for me. Okay. And I was like, nah, I can't do that. Can't do that either. So, and how about for polyamory? What podcasts, books, resources? Uh, definitely anything by Doctor um, Chef. She does the Polyamorous Next Door uh, stories from the Polycule. She has a Twitter account. She has a lot of articles on Huffington Post and Psychology Today about children and uh, polyamory, mm-hmm. and also about communicating in polyamory. 
because she's she's like the forefront expert. She's done, like I said, a 15 to 20 year study on it. Wow, sounds like she has a lot of scientific data there. And how do you spell her name? Uh, her last name is Chef, which is S-H-E-F-F. Okay, totally different than how I was thinking how to spell it. I was thinking C-H-E-F, but yeah, no. Okay, cool, and then, Chef. And The Ethical Slut's a good book. That, that's a great resource. For any non-ethical relationship. I, I consider that the non, Bible. No, ethical, any non-monogamous ethical. relationship. Let's go with that one. <laughs> We're sticking to the ethical side of all this, yes. <laughs> we want to keep sure. something legal. So on the other stuff, well, you know, just we don't say anything. <laughs> For consensual ethical non-monogamy, that's a great book and a great resource to go to. And there's tons of others that I've read. <laughs> I can't think of them all. I had to read a bunch of them for my dissertation. <laughs> nice. That's coming up soon, isn't there? Dissertation or? Yeah, I've written the first three chapters. It's on uh, attachment theory and polyamorous relationships. And that uh, I should be coming up to propose it hopefully within the next month. I wanted to do it before Atlanta Poly. It just didn't work out that way for, you know, political reasons. (laughs) Yes, we won't discuss political reasons on the show because of that. But it's very interesting, your dissertation there. Um, that seems like a cool topic to talk about because I guess there's not a lot of scientific research on polyamory like that. I mean, yes, Ms. Chef and our Dr. Chef has, but you know, like even for therapists and psychiatrists, that's something new. Yes. There's not actually a lot of research on polyamory, especially within, uh, like a systematic view, mm-hmm. especially using Bowenian attachment theory. There's a, a couple, there are two studies before mine that were like a couple years ago. I think King's did hers on uh, contrasting attachment styles with people who consider themselves monogamous and then individuals who consider themselves non-monogamous. And then there was uh, Butterworth who did hers on saying that polyamorous individuals can have two secure bases. And what that means is like when we're growing up, our attachment style is usually based on our caregivers, mm-hmm. uh, whether we were anxious, avoidant, or secure with them. Oh. And having a secure base, um, Butterworth study, which I um, consult a lot in my work, is saying that you can have two secure emotional bases for adult romantic attachment. And mm-hmm. mine is kind of combining those two. Nice. And- in a way, because I would do the uh, your main attachment, so like the attachment you had as a child, and then we're going to look to your different attachments with partner A and partner B, and see if those are both secure or if they're if one's anxious and one's avoidant, so on and so forth. So you can kind of compare that to show that we have different attachment styles to different people. Interesting. I, I, I never thought of it that way. And it's like, now that you're saying it, I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. There's a one book called Attached uh, by Levine, and there's another, someone else there, but that's the one that's sticking out. There is research in there that shows that our attachment style can change depending upon who our partner is, our romantic partner. Because if we have, like, the big or the explosion one is, like, the anxious attachment and the avoidant attachment because they kind of feed into each other in the beginning and then it's like this emotional mess if we if they don't know what their attachment cues are that's being triggered in them that could be like oh well you just don't ever answer me it's like well and the avoidance like that's because you're being needy so then it goes back and forth (laughs) instead of going in and saying well when you don't answer me i feel this way this is getting triggered and it's coming back from like when I was a kid and cause it's all tied in our attachment style goes all the way back to childhood and so many other things that I can get into. Ah, yes. So many, <laughs> because it is true. You know, we do have those kind of like attachment. I mean, I guess the more traditional ones that we know is the mama boy one. Mm-hmm. That's a great example there. And daddy's girl. But yeah, I've never seen like a mommy's girl or a, you know, or a daddy's son. Never seen the, that. They're out there. <laughs> I know. That's just, it just seems like the elusive, you know, uh, 
rabbit or something, you know. It doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what we forgot to talk about? The difference in the terms of polycule, polyrisolo, polo, whatever. Okay. Go so, for it. Uh, a polycule is, well, let's start out with the, you know, okay. So you have like a binary, you have the one, you know, you have the, the couple, and then if you branch off, you can have a V, which is like you have the hub partner in the middle. And then you have partner A, partner B, but they're not connected to each other. They're just metamorphs, so your partner's partner. And then you can have the triad, which is all three are in a relationship together. So if you start getting more than a triad and you start having everyone has their own partner or because it, it can become like this huge spider web mess. And that's called a polycule. So that's and, like a triad where each of or multiple members also have another partner involved, which correct. is not involved with the others. Correct. Or you can you can have the S where they're where they all have different partners together and they don't really connect in a way. Or you can have a W where it's two of the V's or the the hub partners. Their metamors have a connection with each other you know i'm doing like all these hand gestures like you can see them (laughs) (laughs) we'll kind of edit it later here's a hand puppet (laughs) so they have the w or you could have the x where there's like the one hub like you're a poly solo and you have four different partners and they're all connecting to you Uh, oh so that's how the poly solo could work as an x so mm -hmm. Interesting, yeah. Someone asked, like, in that, uh, I was in a presentation last week in polyamory, if there was a W. I wasn't aware, but now you explain it. I'm so grateful there is a W. There is a W. But I will ask, how, how would you explain poly solo? Because I've heard it, uh, I've heard it listening to podcasts, and I'm kind of, is it just you're poly but single at the current time, or? Correct. It's like, you're, you're wanting to not be, you don't want to have, like, a primary even though hierarchies can nowadays hierarchy can be frowned upon in the poly community. However, you're not wanting to have like this primary partner or you're not wanting to, you're kind of wanting to play the field a little bit, but have these different relationships with other people huh. or you're wanting to be the unicorn. Okay. Is there a male version of unicorn? What's that term? The centaur. The centaur. So it is. Okay. I was trying to rattle my brain. We were trying to remember that. Okay. So there's the unicorn and the centaur. Yes. Awesome. Sorry to interrupt. I'm sorry. The the poly solo just got me there. So continue on because I think isn't there polyfidelity too? Yeah. There's uh, polyfidelis, which means like if you're in a triad or if you're like in a, let's say you're in a quad, which is all four members or with each other. You don't go outside of that particular formation unless all of the people agree. So you're you would have to kind of like do like a committee meeting if this person can go play with so and so, or if they want to date somebody else, they all have to agree it's okay for this to happen because they're polyfidelis. Interesting. And that covers everything, or is there more? Uh, I'm sure there's more. <laughs> <laughs> There's always more. <laughs> of course there's always more. Yeah, because that's what that's the wonderful spider web of complexity that polyamory is. It's not as easy as people think. No, it's not. Especially when I bring up legal stuff. Like if they're a married couple wanting to bring in somebody, I'm like, you need to get a post-nup. They're like, what? Like you have to understand, like in the fantasy world, it looks beautiful. It all looks like rainbows and butterflies and whatever. And in reality, there's going to be emotions. <laughs> And just in case, you know, something gets kind of weird, you have that post-nup that says this isn't going to affect if we do decide to get a divorce. There's not going to be that adultery clause in there saying you can automatically, you know, get the divorce because, oh, well, you cheated on me according in the eyes of the law because Polly's not, you know, legal right now. Yeah, no kidding. It's like the, a couple of people were kind of shocked when I mentioned it. it's like LGBTQ folks have more legal rights than alternative relationship poly swingers all that because it's just the law hasn't caught up with it correct and it's yeah 
It's one of those things, like even like in Utah, of course, that's the whole Mormonism is out there. I think they've even updated that if you're li- more adults are living in the household, and it's even rumored that there's a romantic thing going on, that that's not that's that's, not, that's illegal over there now. Wow, that sounds very intrusive. Yes. Well, half of the uh, sex laws on the books and across the United States are very intrusive. You know, like having anal sex in Florida is still illegal. Correct. I'm going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going to jail at this point, hon. Come on. Get... Let's get to reality here. <laughs> we already have overcrowding in jails. <laughs> so we kind of look over that. <laughs> oh, my God. It's too well, hopefully, funny. Hopefully in the next generation or so 20 years uh the law will catch up with this because i don't see it as something going away i see it something is growing more polly correct i don't i don't see it going away either especially in our culture now where marriage or having the hetero normative relationships isn't working anymore in fact it as, as history tells us we never were truly monogamous some people are and that's great that that's good for them but history tells us that that's not really how we work. There's always a mistress on the side or I don't even know what a male mistress would be. I don't know that uh, word. We just call them pool boys. but um... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. And they're still escorts. I mean, yeah. that's all it is. But I think Albert Einstein said monogamous is not uh, feasible or what? He made some comment that monogamy isn't a feasible concept i don't i gotta look up the exact quote i know and it's on that show genius and i just yeah but it's funny of all the quotes you'll hear about him that's not the one you think of when you mention the name albert einstein that's kind of shushed because it was in that time that was you know unheard of that you would do that or you would speak about it openly well there were a lot of interesting uh things people in history have done uh, consistently, um, oh, Benjamin Franklin was uh, a womanizer and uh, regularly known to go back and forth to France because he said, "Well, orgies are easier to organize in France than America." Yeah, there's our founding fathers. Uh, mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson was rumored to have a uh, a slave that he was having a continued romantic relationship with, and not in a mistress sense. It just wasn't acceptable for uh, a man of of oh, any white man in that time we're talking the uh, 18th century to be involved romantically with a black woman exactly. so it was done under the table mm-hmm. so, so we have all these um innovative people throughout history that are showing that it's not just straight laced this this is how it works cookie cutters no it's what works for you <laughs> Sexually, emotionally, that doesn't necessarily make it wrong. Oh, definitely not. Most of the people, it's funny, we're told to conform, and at the same time, the people we're told to idolize don't conform. Exactly. There's, um, I just read a study, and I think Patty posted it up on her page, and like valedictorians, why, because our schools, they're valedictorians and they're salutictorians because we crave um, conformity in schools. We praise that. Like, you're going along with the flow, you're conforming to our ideals and our society, where it's actually the innovators, like the top CEOs of companies, people who make the big differences aren't the valedictorians or salutictorians. They're the ones that actually get bored in school. Um, they're, they get in trouble. They're troublemakers because they're bored. That, that's not their thing. They don't want to conform. They want to think outside the box, and they want to go against the grain. And that's yep. why they become successful. Yep. And there's several cases to support that. Um, Bill Gates dropped out of Harvard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think anyone's going to go ahead and say he turned out to be a bad businessman. Oh, no. <laughs> but the point is, we, we are constantly told to obey the rules, but even any CEO of a big company, I, say, I, I tell my students, they didn't become a CEO by being a nice guy. Every mm-hmm. CEO I know of is fairly ruthless. And if you start going through, you know, their history, they've done some pretty 
I mean, it's good to be selfish, but ruthless things. And although we don't talk about that, although we don't really, you know, focus on that, we still look at the rest of, well, they got all this. I'm like, yeah, but they got that by acting like a Viking and taking from others, you know? (laughs) They had that morally gray area. (laughs) Absolutely there. Yeah, and that same study you were talking about, I, I actually reposted it on my wall, and someone actually said, well, yeah, and now they're becoming plumbers and electricians and they're making more and that's so sad and i'm like i still i forgot to respond but trade workers overseas are highly respected as any doctors or lawyers because it's a trade and the mentality of that you're a trade worker is wrong because if we're all doctors and lawyers who's going to fix our stuff you know i I like to see a, a doctor or a lawyer try to you know do uh, surgery on my car. Come on. Do you know how yeah. to fix this? Exactly. <laughs> like, And that, that, that was another thing. Like, blue-collar workers are looked down upon in our society. But no, they're the ones that are going to keep our stuff running. They're the ones that keep the place clean. They're... <laughs> so, I mean, trash men, they're one of the highest paid, you know, trades because nobody wants to do it. Very true, but... It's sad, yeah. Yeah, I admit to be the first one, I, I hate working on my house. I, I own a house, but I really, I, I hate painting. I, I hate patching drywall, and I'd much rather pay someone else for it. So, it, it, it is interesting. I, I, I don't disrespect anyone ever for a job choice, regardless of what you're doing. Everyone's met for different things, and there shouldn't be any shame associated with it. I totally agree. Well, it's also funny um, how doctors are praised here. In other countries, they're not. Mm-hmm. I've actually met doctors who have immigrated here from Eastern European countries during the 90s when there was a lot of uh, turmoil over there and the fall of the Soviet Union and all that. And they said they're making more money here doing menial jobs than they made as doctors over there. And I, was I can see that. Mm-hmm. And that's like with socialism, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. But yet when you go to, um, I think it's either Switzerland or Denmark, their teachers are highly paid and highly respected compared to here in the States. Exactly, because their teachers are teaching the next generation. And we're teaching our generation how to take tests. Exactly, that's sad. Yeah, and then, you know, not talking about healthy relationships or how to even know about sex and all that. And that's why we're being created and going through the political struggles that some of us go through to get our certifications and doctrines and, you know, make the world a better place, I guess. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Leaving Leaving our own legacy somewhere. Oh, yes. But as I always say, I I finally accepted that I'm not everyone's cup of tea. You know, mm-hmm. you could either like my podcast, but I'm going to bring everybody and anything that talks about sex, good, bad, or ugly there. So. Exactly. I like to tell my clients I'm not a one-size-fits-all therapist. You know, if, if you don't like the I don't sugarcoat things, I'm very direct. Um, and if you, if you really don't like that, then I'm probably not the therapist for you. <laughs> I know. It's like, why don't they can't handle the truth? It's like, you want the truth, but you can't handle the truth. <laughs> We're going to bring in a few good men on that one. <laughs> oh, I do. I, like, on my spiritual website there, I usually said, if you can't handle the truth, please don't see me. Go find somebody else. I'm very exactly. blunt on that because I will always tell you the truth. I'll soften the blow, but I won't mm-hmm. sugarcoat everything. I'll tell it as it is, and I might be a little, you know, sailor-like vocabulary, but sometimes some people need that yeah some people do need the direct and it's like um yeah that, that's how it is like today i had a someone do non-verbs which is like facial expressions body language like what was that for like i don't know what you're talking about you made a face an unconscious face at what i said so i want to know the thought behind that so i can i can know how best to help you because most of our communication is, 70% of our communication is through nonverbs. So that whole body language told me a lot about what was just going on with you. 
Yeah, they keep forgetting that therapists are trained, and I mean, even like coaches and social workers, anyone who goes into the mental health field, we're trained to look at body language and analyze. It's like, oh, hell no, you're lying to us, and you have something uncomfortable, but yet you still don't want to fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like your body's pointing towards the door, so what are you trying to run away from right now? Like, is it because I'm making you uncomfortable from my questions, or because you're sitting here thinking about things that I may ask you, or that you just don't want to be here? Right now, because you'd rather be off, you know, playing Pokemon or something. Yes, join the Pokemon Go van, okay? Go pay your $15, <laughs> go chase Pokemon. <laughs> Yay! Now, on the other side of it, I did go to a therapist office once a while back. And I walked in, they had a couch and two chairs besides their chair. Mm-hmm. And I actually paused for a moment, and I thought... By my choice of chair, what is it saying? And then I thought for a moment and went, oh, hell, just sit down. <laughs> it, it can say something depending upon, because, again, it's like the totality of the circumstances and what's going on in the room, especially if you're having a family come in or if you're having a couple come in. Where they choose to sit can mean a lot about their relationship. Like, are they really cuddled together? Are they holding hands or are they far apart is one choosing the chair and one choosing the couch or are they putting a pillow to be like a barrier between them what what's going on so it can mean a lot where you sit and it's funny because after a long a while i did in thinking about it i figured it out because the couch was in the middle the two chairs were on the other side and there is a pillow on the couch so yes if a couple walks in and sits in the two chairs with a big couch in the middle they got a lot of work i can see the therapist saying she's got a lot of work in store for her (laughs) oh yeah you you could play so many different aspects on that (laughs) so this has been so much fun nikki just chit-chatting off other than talking about schoolwork (laughs) yeah exactly but it was kind of schoolwork because it was polyamory therapy yeah i I guess (laughs) so how could people reach you um, well, I have my Facebook page, which is Therapist Nikki. I also have my webpage, which is www.therapistnikki.com. I have my Twitter, which is at Therapist Nikki. Um, yeah, I have Psychology Today, if you want to find me. It's Nikki Robbins. Good therapy is the same thing. Uh, my phone number for my practice is 678-964-4739. Uh, you can leave a message there. You can text. You're welcome to do that as well. Or you can email me at relationship.positive.therapy at gmail.com. Awesome. And you can find us on Spreaker and iTunes on Living a Sex Positive Life. Also website, Living a Sex Positive Life. You can find me on social media at Miss Angelique Luna uh, across the board. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook as John C. Luna. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Nikki, for being on our show. Have a great night. You too. Thank you. Good night. Night.